You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you now to open your Bibles with me to the Scripture readings for this morning. Two readings from the Gospels. First of all, from Matthew chapter 11. We'll read from verse 25 up till chapter 12, verse 14. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is not, what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day, and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And now we go to Luke 4. There we'll read verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. And He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This morning we're considering the truths of God's Word as they have been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here the church confesses, what does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's Word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through His Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus, every weekday afternoon, if you turn the radio on and listen to a certain station, you'll hear the Dr. Laura show. Dr. Laura characterizes her program as having to do with moral health. She dispenses practical, common sense advice to people with all sorts of problems, mostly problems having to do with relationships. Well, almost ten years ago, when she was still an Orthodox Jew, Dr. Laura wrote a book with a Jewish rabbi on the Ten Commandments. The book was called The Ten Commandments, The Significance of God's Laws in Everyday Life. And in that book, Dr. Laura provided a practical commentary on each of the Ten Covenant Words. She also wrote a lengthy chapter on the Fourth Commandment, which we're looking at this morning. And as she works through the Fourth Commandment, she says some helpful things, some wise things. She has some good insights. But something is missing. Better put, someone is missing. That someone is Jesus Christ. She's very respectful of the Christian faith, still today. She mentions Christ and His resurrection in that chapter in her book. She mentions that as being the basis for the Christian Lord's Day. Doesn't put it down. Very respectful. She even quotes the Westminster Larger Catechism, of all things, on the Fourth Commandment. 
I guess an Orthodox Presbyterian minister had sent her a letter that had quoted the Westminster Larger Catechism, and she in turn quoted it. For all the good things that she says about the fourth commandment and for all the respect that she pays to the Christian faith, and it's widely thought today that she's on her way being led by God to becoming a Christian, despite all that, sadly, she still missed the revelation of Jesus Christ in the fourth commandment in her book. Now, a superficial look or a first glance at the Hadaburg Catechism might lead one to the same conclusion. At least Dr. Laura mentioned the Lord Jesus in her treatment of the fourth commandment. The Heidelberg Catechism doesn't even do that. But there's more here than first meets the eye. The authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, Olivianus and Ursinus, and especially Ursinus, they held that the fourth commandment had two aspects a ceremonial aspect and a moral aspect. The moral aspect, keeping one day out of seven holy, is something that remains forever. It's grounded in creation and it's binding on all people. But the ceremonial aspect, keeping the seventh day of the week holy, that's something that was only there for Old Testament Israel since the coming of Christ has passed away. Nevertheless, this ceremonial aspect remains instructive for believers today. And it's this aspect that the catechism really builds on, focuses on. I want to stop here for a moment and remind ourselves of what we confess in Article 25 of the Belgic Confession. It has a title, Christ the Fulfillment of the Law. Here we confess, we believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ and that all shadows have been fulfilled so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ in whom they have been fulfilled. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honor, according to God's will and to His glory. This article speaks about Old Testament ceremonies, and one of those Old Testament ceremonies is the Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath. And the, the truth and substance of this ceremony remains for us in Jesus Christ. So the fourth commandment points us to Christ our Savior the one who called himself in Matthew 12 the Lord of the Sabbath. The fourth commandment reveals to us a great God who loves his people and sets out to redeem them. When we see that clearly, then we can see where the Heidelberg Catechism is coming from in its summary of scriptural teaching on this subject. And knowing that, seeing Christ, we can also then move to a responsible application of the fourth commandment for our lives today. So today, this morning, let's consider the fourth commandment and its revelation of Christ our Savior. Well, you may remember that we have two full versions of the Ten Commandments in the Bible. There's the original version given by God to Moses, written directly by God Himself on the tablets of stone. 
We find that in Exodus 20, which we read a few moments ago. Then we also have a version in Deuteronomy 5 in Moses' farewell sermon to the people of Israel. In fact, Deuteronomy, the name, literally means second law. There are some differences between those two versions, Exodus and Deuteronomy. And we'll get into one of those in in just a moment. For now, let's just notice that both start exactly the same way. Both versions of the ten words start with God saying that He is the one who brought Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Those words about salvation are the background against which we have to read all of the commandments that follow. And that's true no matter what use of the law we're considering. Remember, in the life of the church, there are two uses of God's law that we speak about. The first is that it serves to convict of sin, drive us to the cross. And then the second use is that it serves as a guide for our thankfulness, for holy living. And today we're considering that second use. We're speaking about the law in the context of our sanctification, our thankfulness. And in that context, we sure have a lot to be thankful for. In the ten words of the covenant, salvation comes first. God takes the initiative, the first step. And all of this is an act of God's grace. People, people of Israel, they didn't deserve it. In fact, they deserved quite the opposite. The introduction to the Ten Commandments reveals a God who keeps His promises. A God who takes the initiative in the covenant of grace. And we see that grace also in connection specifically with the fourth commandment. In Deuteronomy 5, the version of the ten words found there, the exodus from Egypt is tied directly into the fourth commandment. It says there, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, Israel was reminded to observe the Sabbath in memory of God's gracious act of redemption. People had been slaves, totally unable to do anything to help themselves, but God came to the rescue. And the Sabbath was set aside as a day to remember, a day to celebrate the salvation which came by grace alone. And the exodus from Egypt was the salvation event par excellence in the Old Testament. And as such, it clearly and powerfully pointed forward to the salvation event par excellence in the whole Bible. The redemption accomplished by Christ for us. That's where we see the depth of God's grace in stunning detail, don't we? That's where we find the good news that cheers our hearts. Well, He ministered in person here on earth. The Savior also revealed the depth of God's grace in connection with the Sabbath and the fourth commandment. 
Look at what happens in the passage we read from Matthew 12. The Lord is out with His disciples on the Sabbath. Meanwhile, as often happens, the Pharisees are shadowing Him the entire time. First, they pick at Him because His disciples are picking some grain. And when He answers them, the Lord Jesus shows that the Pharisees had ignored the broader context of Scripture and how they interpreted and understood the fourth commandment. The author of Scripture gives the authoritative interpretation. And then he goes into a synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand. Before he does that, the Pharisees try to trap him by asking him about the propriety of healing on the Sabbath. Can you really do that? And Christ's answer makes it plain. Healing, acts of mercy, all of this fits, definitely fits with the character of this day, of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is about remembering and celebrating God's grace towards His people. And why would it possibly be wrong for the Messiah to heal at such a time as this? On such a day? Shouldn't He just keep on showing God's grace, especially on this day? The day that's really His day? That man, He didn't deserve to be healed. But the Lord Jesus gave Him that gift. Gave Him grace. And with this, our Lord Jesus gives us a powerful picture of His redemptive work. We live in a broken world. And He comes to put it all back together again. We're spiritually broken on our own. And our relationship with God is like that withered hand, twisted and deformed. Christ comes to restore and renew In this picture, Christ the Savior is revealed as the true depth and meaning of the fourth commandment. It's about remembering, celebrating, and acting with grace and mercy. By the way, that's the reason why the Christian church worships on the first day of the week. Because we remember and we celebrate God's grace in Christ's resurrection. And all of this we think about this carefully, it points us to a responsible way of applying this commandment for believers today, for us. We're recipients of God's grace in Christ. Blessed in ways that should drop our jaws in awe. Through Jesus Christ, we've received the opposite of what we deserve. God, life and joy, and peace, and hope for eternity. We have the promise of eternal glory and wholeness. You believe that? Does the Gospel grab your heart and impress you? Well then, don't you want to remember, to celebrate, to share the grace that you've received? Shouldn't we be thankful that we've been brought into a relationship with our Creator? The One who was previously our judge? We've been brought into a friendly relationship with Him through the blood of the cross? 
Shouldn't we be filled with love for God and a hunger for Him? A hunger for more grace. A hunger for a deeper understanding and experience of His grace in our lives. You see, our living out of the fourth commandment always has to be tied into God's grace in Christ. And you know, that is exactly what the catechism does. Right away, it speaks about the preaching of the gospel. Its concern is the ministry of the gospel and the sacraments. You know, we have a special name for the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. We call them means of grace. They are ways in which we grow in our understanding and experience of God's grace in Christ. They take place here on the Lord's Day in our public worship. The worship services are where the grace of God in Christ is officially and authoritatively announced and applied to us in our daily lives. But not only that, the worship services are also where we participate in praying for God's grace in our lives and in the lives of others. And more than that yet, the worship services are where we together share God's grace by giving generously to those who are in need through the collections. This is a place of grace. And so we have to ask ourselves, ask yourself, why would I want to do anything on this special day that would interfere, that would stand in the way of my receiving more gracious blessings from God in Christ? Why? Would I ever want to do anything that would stand in the way of my sharing God's grace with others through our public worship? And so we see the grace of God in Christ revealed to us in the fourth commandment. And it impacts our lives. But there's more. A few minutes ago, we looked at the fourth commandment as given in Deuteronomy 5. We noted how it connects with the exodus from Egypt. Now let's look a minute at the version from Exodus 20. It works with the pattern of rest found in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, made it holy. In other words, Israel was commanded to rest in imitation of God's Sabbath rest. And this Old Testament rest, what was its character? What was it like? Well, basically, there were six days for work and regular activities. That didn't mean that people had to work six days. It meant that God had made six days available for work. But one day out of every seven was to be made special. In the earliest days of the Old Testament, the seventh day was to be reserved for rest and refreshment. In fact, the Hebrew word Sabbath means a rest, a stopping from work. Well, eventually this Old Testament rest 
designed to be something positive, designed to be a gift, came to be weighed down with all kinds of rules and regulations. People wanted to know what fits the definition of work and and what doesn't. Human beings, us included, were hardwired for law. We love rules. People feel comfort and security in knowing what they can and can't do. And so, one thing led to another and the Jews came up with all kinds of man-made additions to the fourth commandment. And that's the sort of context that our Lord Jesus came into when He took on our human flesh. He came into the world to restore and fulfill the fourth commandment. Also in this aspect of rest. That's another thing that we see Him doing there in Matthew 12. He was breaking free and saving His people from all kinds of legalistic conceptions of the fourth word. What do we mean by legalistic? Sometimes we use that word quite casually. We don't like what somebody is saying. Somebody says we have to do a certain thing. We just say you're being legalistic. Very easy to throw that out at somebody. While legalism is when you get entirely caught up and obsessed and focused on questions of what can and can't be done. Christianity becomes characterized as a system of rules to follow rather than a gospel to believe. Legalism is when the law either becomes or is in danger of becoming a means of measuring up in God's eyes or man's eyes or maybe even both. The law, or better yet, our misunderstanding of the law, then basically replaces Christ as our salvation. When the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath, they didn't measure up to the Pharisees and their misinterpretation of the law. The Lord Jesus showed and He exposed that it was the Pharisees who were really the ones who were falling short of God's will. And it was because they separated mercy from the law. Christ demonstrated that the fourth commandment was not an end in itself. It has to be understood in its context. It's about rest. Giving relief. It's about God doing good for man. Lord Jesus said, if people can do good for animals on the Sabbath, why can't people do good for one another? This is what the Lord of the Sabbath was about. Doing good and giving rest and relief. Remember His his words, those beautiful words, Come to Me all you who labor and are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Aren't those wonderful words? That's what the Lord of the Sabbath was about. What He is about today. And that's also what His day is about. When you get caught up in disputes about the definition of work, you're in danger of missing the point. The point is that this day speaks of Christ, our Savior. In Hebrews 4, God clearly ties the work of Christ to the rest given in the fourth commandment. 
It's in Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Here, rest is tied into rest from sin. Christ came to give us rest from our warfare against God, our working against God's revealed will for our lives. You see, don't you, that this is the scriptural source for what the Catechism says in Lord's Day 38 and its second point, Namely, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Because of Christ and His perfect obedience to God's law, including His obedience to the fourth commandment, God looks at people who believe in Christ, looks at believers, and you know what He sees? He sees people who are at rest from their sins. Isn't it awesome to know that? This rest gives us a friendly relationship with God. God pours out His kind, fatherly heart to us. It comes through faith. Faith in Christ, which is our lifeline to Christ. We have union with Him. We have His Holy Spirit living in us. And because all this is true, because the Gospel is true, we want to see what God sees become a greater and greater reality in our daily existence. God sees people who are at rest. And we want to see ourselves at rest. This means that our justification, to put it in theological terms, our justification, which is what God sees, leads us to make our sanctification, which is our daily struggle for holiness, what we see, leads us to make our sanctification a priority in our lives. You know, when the Gospel breaks through our hearts, cuts through our hearts like a hot knife through butter, it impresses us and grabs us. We're compelled to greater measures of love and thankfulness to God. And that love and thankfulness are going to be made concrete in our lives. And so the rest given by Christ, our being made right with God, is also going to affect our attitude towards the Lord's Day, towards Sunday. We read the Scriptures, and we see Christ, and we see His attitude, and we see His example. And because we are united to Him, because we're filled with love and thankfulness. We want to follow that. And with His Spirit, He gives us the power to do so. He showed that the fourth commandment is about a day characterized by doing good, by giving rest and relief to others. That insight shown to us by our Lord Jesus is naturally going to affect how we think about things like 
shopping and eating out on Sundays? Are we giving rest and relief to others like our Lord Jesus did when we participate in a 24-7 economy? When we insist on using seven days a week for our shopping and our consumer habits, are we really doing good for others? Really helping them? You see, because we are united to Christ by faith and because we're guided by His Holy Spirit, we'll see His attitude towards the fourth commandment and His fulfillment of it, and we'll have those as our guide for Christian living. Well, now we've considered God's grace in Christ, the rest Christ came to bring, and now we want to consider how Christ is revealed as the great liberator. If we look elsewhere in the first five books of the Bible, we find a range of ceremonial days and laws that are related to the Sabbath. In fact, there were also what we call Sabbath years. One year out of every seven was regarded as special. And then there was also a Jubilee year that happened every 50 years after seven cycles of Sabbath years. And with these Sabbath and Jubilee years, an important theme was liberty. During the Sabbath years, debts were to be forgiven. If you owed someone money, Sabbath year would come around and the other person would forgive the debt forever. Freedom from financial enslavement characterized the Sabbath year. When it came to the Jubilee year, so every 50 years, Liberty was to be given to all the inhabitants of the land. All slaves were to be set free. Land that had been taken to pay debts was returned to the family from whence it came, and so on. Liberty was the theme of these Sabbath ceremonial laws, just like with the weekly Sabbath and its emphasis on freedom from slavery in Egypt. Now that weekly Sabbath was easy enough for Old Testament Israel, at least on many occasions and at least externally. Didn't have too much of a problem with it. But unfortunately, they found it a lot harder to follow the laws about the Sabbath years and the Jubilees. In fact, it appears from Scripture that Israel never consistently obeyed any of those laws. They built up all kinds of man-made rules around the, the weekly Sabbath. But meanwhile, the Sabbath years and the Jubilees, they were ignored. And consequently, so was the liberty envisioned by those laws. All this changed when the Lord of the Sabbath appeared on earth. In Luke 4, our other reading this morning, the Lord Jesus came to the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath day. Here you see, again, that regular worship with God's people was also a habit of our Savior. It says that it was His custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And when He came there that day, He was asked to read from Isaiah. Luke reports that He read from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. These are passages that speak prophetically about the weekly Sabbath and about the Jubilee. 
the Lord Jesus made it clear that He is the one who's fulfilled those ceremonies. He said, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Those laws were never kept. But the Lord Jesus came to announce that the liberty and freedom of those laws had come. He came to be liberty and freedom for God's people. He came to fulfill the ideal of of those Old Testament laws. That's a purpose, he says, for which he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so the fourth commandment and its related ceremonies were about liberty back then, pointing ahead to the good news, to the spiritual liberty God's people have in Christ. Freedom from sin, its effects, liberty from spiritual oppression. It sounds great, doesn't it? You may be thinking to yourself, fine, but how does that apply to us today? Well, loved ones, we have been made free by Christ. That means we are free from having to try and earn our salvation by following the law. The law said, do this and live. Christ says, I have done it for you. The law said, if you don't do this, you will die. Christ says in His Gospel, I have done it. I did it so that you may have life and that you may have life abundantly. I lived and died for you. So we're free from the curse. We're free from the wrath of God. But our freedom is not given so that we may have license to sin. We've been liberated by Christ not to be our own, but to be His to be His people. We've been made free so that we, empowered by the Spirit who lives in us, can follow His ways, live out of our union with Him. Like Christ, we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, the answer is in the first verses of Romans 12. It's so that we can give ourselves as thank offerings Think also of what we read in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the last few words? To do good works. Those words follow right on the heels of the well-known passage where we're told that we've been saved through by grace through faith. God has given us freedom in Christ. Why? So that we would use our freedom, exercise it for expressing our love and our gratitude with good works. And the the standard for those good works, the guide for them, is the law of God, also found in the fourth commandment. And if we apply this in a general way, our aim is to live out of the liberty we've been graciously given in Christ. We're free from the curse of sin and we want to live in such a way that we fight against the power of sin. That means that we should want to stay away from whatever might endanger the exercise of our liberty. And especially on the Lord's Day. That's the day 
that we celebrate the liberty we have in Christ. This is the day we meet with the one who gave us this freedom. Meeting with him here in public worship in a way that's unique. It's unparalleled. So as much as we can, we'll want to stay away from whatever might water down or endanger the celebration of our liberty in the communion of saints. In the last few weeks, there have been a number of wedding anniversaries here in our congregation. Well, imagine it's like having a 60th wedding anniversary every Sunday. Can you imagine a husband or wife deliberately planning, planning to be away from their spouse on such a big day? To spend time with something or somebody else? Loved ones, here we have the bride of Christ meeting with her husband twice each Lord's Day. What are we saying when we decide that there is something or someone else that's more important, whether that's family, whether that's a sports event, or you name it, whatever else? Think about it. See, the fourth commandment is all about liberty, grace, and rest. It's about remembering and celebrating these things as they fully come to us in Christ. Really, the fourth commandment has at its basis, as its foundation, the gospel. In its essence, the fourth commandment is not about doing this and not doing that. It's about the Lord Jesus and what He has done for us. And it's only when we have fixed our eyes on Christ in faith, only then can we begin thinking about what our thankfulness is going to look like, the shape of it. Loved ones, I assure you and proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ that our relationship with God is not determined by what we do. It's about who we are. Who we are in Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. We're united to Him by faith. And so let our union with Him through faith produce the fruit of faith in a life of thankfulness. Let's pray. Gracious God and merciful Father, we thank and praise You for the grace, rest, and freedom which are ours in Christ Jesus. We adore You for the Gospel message we could hear again this morning. Father, stir up our hearts to believe it now and every day. Father, please give us the grace of Your Holy Spirit so that our faith in Christ would bear fruit in our lives. Help us to be gracious, to be diligent in our use of the means of grace. Help us to do good, to give rest and relief to others, not only on the Lord's Day, but every day. And Father, help us also to rest from our sins. We thank You that the curse of sin is dealt with in Christ, and we pray that His work would continue so that the power of sin is also crushed more and more. Thank You, dear Father, for this gift of, of a day of rest and worship.
Help us to use it in a way that glorifies your almighty name. We pray in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.